On October 22, 2009, a reporter asked Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, Where specifically does the Constitution grant Congress the authority to enact an individual health insurance mandate? She replied, Are you serious? Are you serious? Just a few months later, on March 21, 2010, the House of Representatives passed the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, which establishes that individual mandate in law. An hour before the vote, Speaker Pelosi spoke with great pride and great humility. She said that by passing the act, the House would honor the vows of our founders, who, in the Declaration of Independence, said that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It seems that Speaker Pelosi likes one of the two great pillars of our founding, but not the other. The Declaration is a thing to be honored with pride and humility, but only by means that have no reference to the Constitution. The two great documents are disconnected in her mind. They are the two sides of a house divided, straining to pull it apart. Nor is her reverence for the Declaration quite what it seems— No one who wrote that document defined the term right to mean free health care or to justify a law requiring all with money to purchase medical insurance so that those with none may have it for free. Just as the Speaker abandons the Constitution, so she alters the meaning of the Declaration. Nor is she alone. She stands in a long line of statesmen and academics who regard both documents in a very different light from those who wrote them. We Americans have today very mixed views about the meaning and merit of our major founding documents. We may like the one or the other, but few of us are devoted to them both in the sense in which they are written. Consider the Declaration. Nearly anyone has to admit that there is something to be said for it. Universal in scope and divine in elevation, it is written in tones of majesty. It celebrates blessings that come directly from God and are known through the reason with which He created us. It proclaims the inclusion of every human being, past, present, and future, in its reach. No nation is left out. No era is excluded. People in the streets of Cairo or Havana, protesting the modern military despots who rule over them, may call upon it for justification. The Hungarians of 1956, crushed by Soviet tanks, uttered its phrases with their last gasps of freedom— the helots under the Spartan lash, the slave rowers squandering their substance in the Roman galleys, are wrapped in its embracing principles. On the other hand, there seems to be something implausible and restricting about the Declaration. Its chief author, Thomas Jefferson, might have signed it in principle with the helot slaves, but in practice he was a slaveholder like their Spartan masters. And why should he not be a slaveholder, some think, as he was founding a regime that vaunts self-interest and worships in the church of taking care of oneself. That is the trouble with America, according to this view. Its people thrive too much at the expense of their neighbors. Is their founding even good? And who are these founders anyway to lecture us about right and wrong? Who are they to say that there is one truth for every age and time, one set of principles to command us today? We live in an age so modern as to make their quill pens and their bowing absurd. These absolute phrases seemed liberating then, but seem constraining today. We have done so much more than those men in their powdered wigs. Why should they tell us the rules under which we must live? These sentiments go back as far as the time before the Civil War and continue to the present day. The pro-slavery statesman John Calhoun, offended by its proclamation of equality, called the Declaration, 
the most false and dangerous of all political errors. Modern thinkers believe it, for all its pretensions of eternal scope, not to transcend but to reflect the time in which it was written. Woodrow Wilson said that it was obsolete, written for an age that believed in the theories of Isaac Newton and regarded government as a mechanism. That age, Wilson believed, was now superseded by Darwin and the theory of evolution, which allows us to see that government is a living organism, one that must change over time. Colonel House, a close advisor to Wilson, wrote a novel in which the hero says, Our constitution and our laws served us well for the first hundred years of our existence, but under the condition of today they are not only obsolete, but even grotesque. For John Dewey, the Constitution's view of liberty was, relative to the forces that, at a given time and place, are increasingly felt to be oppressive. For Frank Goodnow, founder of the American Political Science Association, its claims were the result of the then-existing social conditions. This means that the perspective of the founders is worse, in an important respect, than the typical relic of the past. The Spartan masters could justify their tyranny over the helot slaves by the dictates of their own gods, by the authority of their own valor, or by the love of their own families and interests. Their example is therefore less likely to spread, and it makes fewer claims on other places and times. The Declaration of Independence has larger pretensions, and if it is wrong, it is therefore more wrong and more likely to constrain and interfere with the evolving standards of right that must come later.